Welcome to the Semper Reformato podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. Acts chapter 16, please. We hear the word of God in Acts chapter 16, verse 11. Acts chapter 16, verse 11. Picking up from where we finished last week. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. And we were in that city abiding on certain days. And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spoke to the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of by Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Amen. The Lord will... Bless the reading, public reading of his inspired word. Have you ever heard the saying from small acorns, great oaks grow? Um, What makes our society different from other societies around the world? The great, uh, look across the nations of, of this world. Look at those that are run by Um, communist dictatorships and look at the ones that are laboring under Islamic rule why is it that people from all over the world want to leave their Islamic paradise and come and live here among us you know what is it why is it that our nation and the, the continent of Europe has for years had industrial and scientific successes. Our laws and our customs and our society, our respect for life, life, albeit that it has been thoroughly damaged in this province over the past year or so, uh, but generally our respect for life is far greater than in some other parts of the world. Our cities, built around great cathedrals and churches. The crucible of the Reformation has been right here in Europe. Art and music and psalm the day and hymn the day and praise. What is it that makes this continent so different than Africa, India? the Middle East, China. And of course in that I include 
those lands which, thanks to the British Empire, we brought civilization to all those many years ago. What makes it different? I'm going to suggest to you that the answer is right here in Acts chapter 16, in the passage that we read, where the very first Christian convert in Europe is found. All of those laws that we enjoy in customs and society, all of our European heritage, our British heritage, our Ulster heritage is thanks to Acts chapter 16. All those centuries of Christian witness that has occurred in Europe from that day to this, so many souls saved by God's grace, all began with one single woman who one Saturday morning decided to go to a river in grace and meet with some friends and seek the God whom she knew as the creator of the visible world, the God who had revealed himself to people called Jews. And that set of circumstances, providentially, in the sovereignty of God, was the acorn from which a great oak grew. So I want to look today at an open door and an opened heart and an opened home. An open door, an opened heart, an opened home. Remember last week we learned that Paul had received a very specific call from a man from Macedonia appearing before him in the night and crying out for help that Paul and the missionary band would come over and help us. Paul had shared that vision with the other members of his missionary society and Silas and Timothy are now joined by Luke also and together they had agreed that it was God's will to book their travel arrangements straight away And they travelled by ship across the straits, known as the Bosporus, into the island of Samothrace off the coast of Macedonia. The wind was at their back. They had a fair wind and a quick journey. For the word here, of course, in verse 13 is, or verse 12 rather, or maybe even verse 11, was that loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course. And the indication there is that that was a a, a nautical term um, for a fair wind, a, a straight forward journey. They sailed overnight. Conditions were perfect. The Lord was with them, speeding their journey. And from there... It was a short sea journey down to the main city of that particular region of Macedonia. It was Philippi. Neopolis is also mentioned here. That's just the port area of the city of Philippi, about eight miles from the city itself. Philippi is a Roman city. It was named after Philip II, the father of Alexander the Great. And after the Romans took over the area of Macedonia, 
167 BC, Philippi became a bit like Eastbourne on the south coast of England. I used to have to go to Eastbourne several times a year for conferences and meetings in the 1990s. The thing that impressed me about Eastbourne, it was full of old people. You went to Eastbourne to retire if you could afford it. I can't see it happening for me. It was a very pleasant climate and you could walk along the beach and get cappuccinos out of little cabins. And that's just exactly what uh, Philippi was. Philippi was a retirement city. It was a place where if you were um, a Roman soldier, a Roman governor, and you could serve the empire well, then perhaps Caesar would let you go and live in Philippi. And as an extra incentive and a reward for good service, Philippi was an area that had no income tax. So you can see how good it would be to live there. And of course, it was a civilized place in those days. Roman law prevailed. The city legal and administrative authorities answered directly to Caesar. So it was a very pleasant place to live. In fact, if you look just forward slightly at Acts chapter 16 and verse 20, you'll see the way that the city was governed. Um, Acts 20 says that they had brought them to the magistrate, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to observe, to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. That's the, the influence of Rome. In, in that city. In verse chapter 16 and verse 38, you see it again. You see that the sergeants told these words unto the magistrate. They feared when they heard that Paul and Silas were Romans. It was illegal to punish a Roman citizen without a trial. The other thing we find out about Philippi is that there were Jews living in Philippi. But we reckon they must be small in number, for there's no mention of a synagogue. Remember, it was Paul's custom when he arrived in a city to go straight away to the synagogue and to begin to preach and evangelize there. But there was no synagogue. Synagogue required a quorum of ten male family heads. Um, Otherwise, Jews would have to meet outside. And in Philippi, they were meeting under the sky near the river that was common among Jewish people. So Paul expected that if he went to the riverbank on the Jewish Sabbath, he would find some form of Jewish worship. And that's exactly what happened in verse 13, where it says, On the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside, where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spoke unto the women which resorted thither. Now that's very interesting because this phrasing there is very specific. They sat down, began to speak. We've already learned some weeks ago from the book of Acts that when Jewish rabbis and teachers were teaching, they would, unlike us, they would sit down. To teach, and they would gather people round them, and they would 
sit down also and they would teach sitting and so this is a formal sermon and of course these people Paul and Silas they've been recognized by the Jews as men of education and learning and Jewish authority and they've been asked to preach and as Paul always did he finds this an opportunity to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and look at this they are their congregation at the river that day is comprised entirely of women spoke on to the women which resorted thither. So what have we got? We've got an open door. We've got a city. A very pleasant city. A city where people are going about their business in a very kind manner towards one another. A city where the law is regulated. A city where there is a little group of women who are meeting together to learn about Judaism to worship God in a Jewish manner. And these men go down to the riverbank and they find an audience, an open door. Remember we talked about that last week, that God had opened a door and called them to Macedonia. So here is the open door. But not only is there an open door, there's an open heart. Look now at verse 14. A certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us. There's a woman. There's a particular woman meeting that day with the the Jews at the riverbank. Kent Hughes, in his commentary in Acts, writes, the man of the Macedonian call turns out to be a woman. Isn't that interesting? Paul's pharisaical, pharisaical prejudices, which in his pre-Christian years had taught him to pray, God, I thank you that I am not a Gentile or a slave or a woman, have been sharply altered by Christ and his growth in faith. For later he would write, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor free male, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So can't use. Here's a woman, and her name is Lydia. Let's think about her just for a moment. Look at Lydia's position in society. Her name, first of all, is very indicative. Lydia was the original name of the ancient city of Thyatira. It's the place where she'd been born. It's in Asia Minor, in Turkey. But it's a Greek city. And of course it has a Christian church there, one of the seven churches of Revelation. But right now, she lives and she works in Philippi, and her name's remembered. You know, some people today, they still think of Lydia as Saint Lydia. Her name's written in the Bible. What a wonderful thing that is. To be part of the sacred scriptures along with other notable women of faith. But none of that compares to the fact that she's going to have her name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 20. Jesus says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits are subject to you, 
but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Her name, her profession. We're told here that she was a seller of purple cloth, a businesswoman, a wealthy woman, a woman with a significant position in society, a woman who would obviously have a wide sphere of influence. Matthew Henry notes her integrity and reputation in this mention of her trade here in the Bible. The very fact that her trade is mentioned is to tell us something about her. Being a Christian businessman, being a Christian businesswoman is nothing to be ashamed of. If that business is conducted humbly and honestly and with integrity. So Matthew Henry writes, she was a seller of purple, not a wearer of purple, for few such are called. It's good that it mentions that she was a businesswoman. Christian businessmen and Christian businesswomen have a great role in society. They give employment to others. They act with honesty and integrity. Her conversion is going to be a significant and a very notable event. The third thing we see about Lydia, not just her position in society, her name, her profession, but is that she is prepared for salvation. Now, how does God bring this woman to faith in Christ? I want you to see how this happens. I want you to see her spiritual condition, first of all. Lydia is a worshipper of God. Most commentators think that Lydia wasn't actually a Jew, that she was one of the God-fearers, a Gentile, a Gentile woman who was tired of the immorality of secular society, tired of the despair that it brought, tired of the false gods of her own people, a woman, a Gentile woman, drawn towards the creator God, the God who had revealed himself to Israel, revealed himself in the scriptures. Be aware, though, that being a worshiper of God in her sense does not make you a Christian. I've found many people over the years who believe in God, who attend churches, who lift their voice in songs of praise, but who are not believers in the Lord Jesus. In fact, in John chapter 14, in that well-known passage, remember that Jesus said, you believe in God, believe also in me. Now, Lydia has been prepared for this very moment. She's a God-fearer. She's in the right place. She's not yet a Christian. But now we're told that God did a divine work, a sovereign work, a work of sovereign grace in that woman's heart. Notice how this is put to us here. It tells us in verse 14 that she heard us whose heart the Lord opened. Whose heart the Lord opened. Another modern version puts it like this. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. It was God who took the initiative. 
It was while she was listening to the gospel being preached that the Holy Spirit did his saving work in the fertile soul of her heart. Like all sinners, her heart is sinful and deceitful and wicked and stained with sin. It's as black as it can be. Her ears were stopped and her eyes blinded to the truth. She's helpless and hopeless, but God does what he always does with those whom he saves. He takes the initiative and he works a miracle in her inner being, in her conscience. He opens her closed heart. What happens when a darkened place is opened up? Light floods in, doesn't it? When a darkened place is opened up, the light floods in. And in Lydia's case, when the Lord opened her heart, immediately the light of the gospel flooded in. And everything Paul is saying makes sense. And he talks about Christ's death on the cross for sinners like her. God has done the work. And my Lydia responds. She repents and she trusts the Lord. It's, it's not what saves her. God has already done that saving work. He has already opened the sinner's heart to the light of the gospel. Christ has already died for Lydia. But when the Holy Spirit does this divine work in the heart of a sinner, applying that saving grace, that grace is irresistible. God causes Lydia to respond. The Lord opens Lydia's heart and she attends onto the things which were spoken of Paul. Attending onto the gospel. Lydia's experience that day might well be summed up in the immortal words of Charles Wesley, who wrote long. My imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, I woke the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That day, for Lydia, the Lord opened her heart, and the glorious light of the gospel flooded in. And she responded by giving attention to what Paul was saying. An open door, an opened heart, lastly, an open home. Verse 15. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and abide there. And she constrained us. She, if you want to put it this way, persuaded us. 
in the verse, the first thing we notice is that one of the uh, first responses, one of the first indications of her new life in Christ is obedience to God. I always wondered why it was that the Jews met for worship in the vicinity of a river. But of course, Judaism involved many ritual washings, especially for women. Um, a, a Jewish woman had to have a ritual washing at least once a month. And baptisms in Judaism were a, a well-known aspect of religious life. It was natural that Lydia, in response to her new beginning, to her new life in Christ, would submit willingly and obediently to Christian baptism. And of course, the river would have been the perfect place for that. She was converted. She was brought to new life. She had repented and trusted in Christ. And she and her household were baptized that day. Obedience. But with that obedience comes a desire for Christian fellowship. Do you see that? She wanted the missionaries to come and to lodge at her home. And she was emphatic about it. And she wouldn't take no for an answer. And look very closely at the words that she says. If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house. Another version puts it. If you have judged me and decided that I am faithful to the Lord, a true believer, Come to my house and stay. Now that's important. She's saying to them, Do you really believe that I'm a true Christian? Remember, she's a Gentile. And remember that Jews don't stay at the homes of Gentiles, by and large. The, the Jews of Paul's age would never enter the house of a Gentile. They wouldn't sit down with a Gentile. They wouldn't ever eat with a Gentile. They wouldn't have fellowship with a Gentile. So she's saying to these missionaries that have preached the gospel, now if you really think that I am a Christian, if you truly believe that Christ can save me, come to my house. If you think that I'm just the same as you, a sinner saved by grace, if you think I've received the same salvation that you have received, then you will have fellowship with me. You can see the logic in it. After all, they've been sitting at the riverside preaching salvation. If they didn't really believe that Gentiles could be saved and were just making a mockery of the thing, if they didn't really believe that becoming a Christian in this fashion could make you exactly equal with them in the, eye, in the eyes of the Lord, then what was the point? Lydia, very astute here. If those missionaries will come to her house and lodge, that will be a real affirmation of her newfound faith in Christ. Will they come? Will they come? They did. They were persuaded. They were persuaded that she was truly saved. They were persuaded that she was part of the elect people of God. They were convinced that she had her name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And being so convinced, they readily accepted her offer of Christian fellowship. And later, Paul would urge hospitality like that upon all of us, telling us in Romans 12 and verse 13 that we're to distribute to the needs of the saints being given to hospitality. 
an open door to preach the gospel, a heart opened by God to respond to the words that are being preached, a home open to Christian fellowship that becomes the site of the first Christian church. Because later on, when Paul is released from prison, he will go back to the home of Lydia in verse 40, where they meet the brethren and be comforted. So the very first convert in the continent of Europe has been saved. Very first one. And the light of the gospel has arrived. And a Gentile and a woman has come to faith in Christ. Is it at all possible? A new church has begun too among the members of Lydia's household. And it's going to become one of Paul's most beloved churches. Later on, he's going to write to these Philippians. And he's going to say, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day. Right from the day that Lydia was saved and said, come to my house. Their fellowship in the gospel. Lydia is a businesswoman. But you know, salvation is not just for nice, respectable, middle class people. And God willing, next week, We'll see the next gospel encounter at Philippi. And we'll see how the opposite is the case. A woman, the dregs of society. A woman with serious personality and mental issues comes to Christ. Becomes part of that new church in Philippi. And the gospel spreads and it grows And if anybody should be thankful for Lydia's conversion, it is you and I. For that gospel light that was lit in Philippi is the same gospel light that shines in Ulster.